You're listening to the Trailblazers podcast, episode 14 with Clarence Wooten. Your your goal is to turn a grape into a watermelon, right? So um, you don't want to own 100% of a grape. What you want to own is, you know, 25, 30% of a watermelon at the end of the day. And you don't get there without without leverage, without leveraging other people's time and other people's money. You're listening to the Trailblazers podcast, where we will explore the stories of successful black professionals. Join us as we highlight the knowledge, resources, and tools of these accomplished trailblazers to help provide the know-how, confidence, and motivation you need to blaze your trail. And now, here's your host, Stephen Hart. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 14 of the Trailblazers podcast. On today's episode, I sat down with Clarence Wooten, a serial internet entrepreneur who's been creating and building internet startups since 98. Back then, Clarence co-founded and was CEO of ImageCafe.com, an online superstore of prefabricated websites for small businesses. ImageCafe was acquired by, for $23 million by Network Solutions, Verisign, in November of 1999, seven months after launch and just before the dot-com bubble popped. Now, after being an entrepreneur based in Maryland his entire career, Clarence moved to Palo Alto, California in early 2011 the heart of Silicon Valley, with the goal of really doing it bigger and better. In pursuit of this goal, he recently founded VentureFund.io, where he serves as CEO, and also co-founded Progressly, where he serves as chairman. Clarence is a graduate of Johns Hopkins University and was honored as a distinguished alumni. In, in today's talk, Clarence shared what he does in his daily roles at VentureFund and Progressly, some of his biggest lessons he's learned as a business owner over the past 20 years. He actually discussed when he began learning about being an investor and the process around that. And we talked about the new and old ways startups go about raising capital. He shared his thoughts on why some businesses are failing and why he managed to keep pushing toward new and higher heights despite his past successes. We talked about lots more. So I hope you enjoy this inspiring and wisdom-packed episode. Hello, everyone. With me today is Mr. Clarence Wooten of VentureFund.io. Clarence, welcome and thank you for coming on today. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. So, Clarence, I've shared a little bit with our community about you in our intro, but could you share something that's not scripted for media, but is 100% Clarence? I guess, you know, people might be surprised that I'm kind of a, I'm an athletic geek who is also a social butterfly. Basically, in addition to doing tech stuff, um, I played basketball in college. And um, if you were to ask me what I watch on TV, you'd find my television on ESPN, which is probably typical, you know, um, but you'd also find it on home and garden television. And, you know, I, I enjoy sitting at the bar of pretty much every restaurant I go to. And I think that's the social side of me. So, yeah, an athletic geek who's also a social butterfly. So I know you're from Maryland, right? Yeah, yeah, born and raised. Originally born in Baltimore, but pretty much lived all over the state of Maryland. Probably spent more time in, in D.C. as an adult prior to coming to Silicon Valley. So for the benefit of our audience, could you maybe tell us a little bit about what it is that you do in your day-to-day your -day with Venture Fund? I think at my core, I'm a product guy and user experience architect. So I'm always thinking about how to better improve the user experience and, and, and the product that is Venture Fund. But, you know, times have changed. You can't just be so focused on the product and customer experience. You also have to be focused on growth. So I would probably say I, I spend at least 50% of my day thinking about ways to grow faster and acquire customers inexpensively. Now, you also have another startup that you've founded, Progressly. 
Can you talk yeah. to me a little bit about that and what you're doing with them? Yeah, so you know, Progressive's in a pretty good place. Um, I'm I'm the original founder and chairman. Uh, because I'm a product guy, I'm I'm pretty good at building early products. And fortunately, because I've had some success in the past, I've been able to sort of bootstrap and build products. Um, and usually, once you know, once it gets to the stage where it's an MVP and people can really see the vision, you know, I can then attract other co-founders uh, that have complementary skills and and early capital. And I've you know I've discovered that you know I am you know I'm a product visionary first. Um, but that's really only half the equation. You need someone who really enjoys operations. And it's, you know, it's almost impossible to run more than one startup at a time unless your name is Jack Dorsey. <laughs> um, so, so my role at Progressively has now become that of chairman. And, you know, uh, my co-founder, Nick Candido, is, is the CEO. He runs the day-to-day. But I did what I was best at, and I was getting the getting the plane off the ground, getting it up to 35,000 feet. And now, you know, um, Nick is able to sort of scale and grow the business. And his skill set's a bit different than mine. And so it's worked out well. We have about 18 employees and, you know, an office in, in Ridwood City, right up the road here in California. Why is it that you enjoy what you're doing with the product side? Yeah, I think I'm a builder by nature. You know, initially in college, I studied architecture uh, and then realized that I, you know, I didn't want to be an architect, but uh, I think I bring I bring those architecture skills with me, and um, so yeah, I'm passionate about the the architecture of the company itself. You know, so I guess I'm more of a startup architect now, and a lot of that involves the product and the vision behind the product and executing on that. That's uh, I think that's it. I think I have I have an architectural builder's kind of mindset. So that's very interesting. Was there someone or, that um, inspired you to go in this direction with your your career? You know, it was, it was interesting. I think as a as a kid, I, I kind of knew. Both my parents are small business owners. Um, mm-hmm. I moved around a lot as a kid. I, I went to eight different public schools in and around Baltimore and the suburbs of Baltimore, um, and you know, lived amongst a bunch of different ethnic groups and. And um, by the time I got to high school, I lived in a predominantly Jewish community. And um, many of my friends' parents were doing really well. And it turns out they were all pretty much entrepreneurs. And so I, I think I learned at an early age that that 95% of the population worked for, worked for 1%. And the other right. 4% of the population works for the government. And, you know, I, I knew then I wanted to be an employer and not an employee. So I pretty much became an entrepreneur during undergrad and and um, pretty much have never had a job that I didn't create for myself. Nice. So for the benefit of those listening, um, I'll just share a, a little bit here. Clarence has actually gone through the process of founding or co-founding several startups, I believe like four. You've had imagecafe.com in the late 90s, which you sold for $23 million. You had groupsite.com in the 2000s, I believe, 06. And your latest two are Venture Fund and Progressly. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned as a business owner over the span of, of what, nearly 20 years now? Man, there's lots of lessons. I think, I think, I think the first, one of the first lessons is probably you, you got to 
even though Image Cafe was it appeared to be an overnight success story, it was years in the making. I mean, you mentioned that I co-founded four startups. Those are the ones that I published on my bio. But quite frankly, <laughs> you know, right. it was it was it was it was more than that. And um, um, yeah, I just sort of erased the ones that didn't work from from history, so to speak. Right. Um, but but a lot of learning, right? You, you you tend to learn when you're when you actually fail. Right. So, but the key is to fail fast and to fail cheap. So that's, that, that's one of the lessons. You know, another lesson is it's a marathon, not a sprint. I think a lot of, you know, new entrepreneurs think that it's going to happen overnight and you have to celebrate the small wins and, and, and see progress daily and get excited about the journey. Right, because it's really about the journey. If you focus on the journey, the destination tends to take care of itself. Now, don't get me wrong; you need to have a vision, but you but you need to sort of enjoy the journey and recognize that uh, it's a marathon, not a sprint. That's great. Those are really important. So, the first one you said: fail, fail fast, fail cheap. Yes, yes. I love that. I always say fail fast. I never heard the cheap part. That's well, that's, you know, when really unfortunately, when you're you know, African American, who you you don't have access to a, a big network of family members who are going to write big checks. You end up failing to, to make it work. Yeah. You, you end up failing cheap, right? Because that's you know you're starting off cheap. So so um, uh, but but you know the key is you know don't let if you're doing something of consequence, you are you are paving a road that really hasn't been paid before. So you, you know, more than likely, you're going to make the mistakes, but just don't let any of those mistakes kill you. Learn from them and quickly move on. So maybe if you could for a minute, you know, we like to talk about those challenges and those failures along the path. Is there an instance you could maybe share with us? Maybe talk us through, tell us a story about, you know, one of these roadblocks, uh, how you overcame it and be able to push through. Yeah. Okay. So there's been a lot of roadblocks and, and, you know, um, uh, early in my career as an entrepreneur, I thought big, but because I was kind of a young entrepreneur, I kind of executed small. So for an example, and this, this is a company that you didn't mention, but one of the first startups I created was a company called Envision Design. And our what we did was we did computer animation for architects. We, we would take... <laughs> take blueprints of buildings and turn them into 3D animated models, which is, you see those everywhere today, but back in the 90s, they, you know, that was necessarily not an easy thing to do. Because I was an entrepreneur, a young entrepreneur, even though it was clear that our ideal customers were big real estate development firms, I thought it was easier and less intimidating, I believe, um, to reach out to smaller architecture firms, right? And so I totally hit the market wrong. I went after the firm. They loved what we did, but they really couldn't afford to sort of pay for, um, you know, for our services. I didn't know, I I didn't know much about the big real estate development firms. So I had no clue at really how to approach them. Um, And so I avoided it. But, you know, at the end of the day, you, you can't avoid the obvious. Right. So even if it makes you uncomfortable. So, so yeah, that almost tanked us, but then we finally got it together and pursued the right customer, um, despite the fact that we didn't have relationships there and, and, you know, got the, got the business to the point where it was moving along and at least sustaining. Wow. 
So when did you actually begin, you know, you have all these businesses, right? When did you actually make that transition where you started learning about the investor side and, and what was that process like of, of becoming an investor? Yeah, you know, I think I think at the end of the day, when you're in when you are an entrepreneur, you almost have to look at yourself like a shareholder, right? You hear a lot of people talk about creating a company and just holding on to it super tight like it's their baby, right? But right. in essence, it's it's an asset. Um, and you're a shareholder. And so you're the largest shareholder. And your your goal is to turn a grape into a watermelon, right? So um, you don't want to own 100% of a grape. What you want to own is, you know, 25, 30% of a watermelon at the end of the day. And you don't get there without without leverage, without leveraging other people's time and other people's money. And that's the whole point of raising capital. Because if you can increase the size of that pie or turn that grape from a grape to a plum and then, you know, raise a bit more money and then turn it from a plum into a cantaloupe and then raise more money and and grow it bigger and turn it from a cantaloupe into a watermelon, at the end of the day, you'll be much better off. So I think once I began to look at startups that I was founding as assets and I began to look, really view myself as a shareholder first and foremost. Um, right. You know, I, I I started to think about it that way, right? And it, it enabled me to sort of let go and think about how to turn the grape into a watermelon. Um, now, as far as really becoming an investor and in other startups, the best way for me to describe it is I believe that the railroad tracks of the 21st century are being laid right now here in Silicon Valley. And mm-hmm. As an entrepreneur, you get to sort of all your eggs are in one basket. You have one rail car, you know, one train on that track. And if that train's successful, then you're, you know, you're, you've done really, really well. But unlike investors, all your eggs are in one basket. And so if your train isn't successful, then you may have spent 10 years and, and didn't get much out of it. Uh, but since we're in a unique time where everyone is walking around with a supercomputer in their pocket, as an yeah. investor um, today, and, and companies can get to significant scale fast, like almost overnight, right? You know, WhatsApp was being acquired for $19 billion before most people here even knew WhatsApp existed. And so as an investor, you can invest a small amount if you invest early enough in a number of different startups. And it only takes one to become a unicorn to sort of change your world. Um, a good example yeah. of that is a is a friend of mine. His name is Shervin Fishbar. He was an early investor in Uber. And, um, you know, he's a billionaire now, and he wasn't even a founder, right? You know, he was just able to invest early enough to, to acquire a couple percentage points. And when a company is worth $62 billion four years later, all uh-huh. of a sudden he's a billionaire. So, so yeah, so, so that, that's part of, um, you know, I, I just enjoy the whole startup ecosystem. So I, I think it's important for me not only to build a startup, but also to be able to invest small amounts and potential winners early which is the whole thesis behind VentureFund.io. Which brings me to that. Could you explain what VentureFund.io is and does? Yeah, so VentureFund.io is a two-sided marketplace. On one side, we have investors um, who want to sort of discover the next potential unicorns early. And on the other side, we have startup entrepreneurs that want to raise money, but they don't want to spend a lot of time pitching and chasing investors. And so Venture Fund enables startups to create a profile and connect their data. So, so most startups use Google Analytics, you know, to track customers and active users, and they use Stripe or PayPal to, to track payments. So we make it easy for them to connect their Google Analytics and their 
payment data so we can show their growth on the dashboard and then the, those same startups can then choose from, as of now, we have about 200 top angels and VCs on the platform. They can choose individually those investors that they want to share their data with. And so, the, so those investors can then just watch their growth in real time. So when the startup starts to blow up, money starts to show up. Right. Now, let's, for, the, for the benefit of those listening, is Venture Fund a platform that serves any type of business? Or when you say startup, are you defining, it, are you defining that as just tech startup? Yeah. So, you know, it's not, you know, so I think every company is becoming um, influenced by tech and software. So, right. so I wouldn't call it tech startup, but I would say um, software-driven startup. So, Got you it. know, SaaS, subscription services on the web, e-commerce, apps, you name it. So anything that's, that's Internet-connected and software-enabled would work. And, and those, those are the kind of startups that investors are looking to back because they scale. Right. 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 Yeah. So, you know, I read a post of yours on Medium titled uh, Why Your Startup Hasn't Gotten Funded. And I'll link that up on the show notes page for everyone listening. But um, in that post, you talked about the two main ways that a startup might gain access to seed capital being the traditional way, um, which you reference as TVR and the new way being traction. Could you briefly explain TVR and traction to us? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'll start with TVR. So historically, in Silicon Valley and in most places, um, you know, in terms of raising money, it was pretty much always, it always worked the same. And I call it the traditional way. Um, you pretty much had to have a, a great team, a great vision, and a legitimate relationship with the potential investors, right? right. And so and when I say great team, that's not defined by what you might be considered great. A great team is defined by what the investors considered great. And in Silicon right. Valley, a great team typically met, means that um, somebody on the founding team was early at a hot startup that took off, early at Google, early at Facebook, went to Harvard, went to MIT, went to Stanford, or dropped mm-hmm. out of Harvard. Um, and that's the pattern they look for in terms of team. You come from any other place, they don't recognize that as a great team. You need a big enough vision that will excite the investors um, of the potential for you to, in, to return the entire fund. So it has to be a, a big idea. Um, and right. then you need, you need a relationship. You, you need to know someone who's going to introduce you to those investors so that you can, so that you can walk in the door, door and get an audience. And so if you don't have at least two of those, preferably all three, you can pretty much forget raising money from, from VCs. And that still stands largely true today. Man, Except, that's like the top tenth of 1%, though. <laughs> it, it is. It is. And so it becomes, that's why, you know, a lot of people get frustrated with the fundraising process, particularly when you when it comes to raising institutional capital or, or venture funding. Because right. uh, in order to get money at the seed stage or a very early stage, you pretty much had to have CVR, right? Mm. So, so now the world has changed a bit, and investors are, are recognizing that even if you have all of those things, there's no guarantee that you're going to be successful, right? Because there's so many choices and there's so many apps that are launching mm. every day. So there's a lot of noise, right? And they're seeing that the Snapchats of the world are, you know, coming straight from college kids. You also, you look at WhatsApp, you know, um, um, Jan, the founder of WhatsApp, was it, didn't quite fit that exact profile. And so um, um, most investors are asking, you know, be, because it doesn't cost a lot to build software, 
Uh, they they want to see that you're you're getting an audience, and if you can show that you're you're getting an audience's attention by visitors, yeah. downloads, sign up, um, that's called track. So most investors yeah. are taking a wait and see approach, right? They don't want to write a check until they see that you're getting some traction, um, because you know most investors' biggest fear is, is investing in a dud, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, as well as the fear of missing out. And so when you have traction, they know that they're not backing a dud. That's interesting. So, so traction seems like it's a new way, but looking back, did imagecafe.com or group, groupsite.com benefit from seed capital? And if so, was traction even a thing back then that was, was clearly evident to you? Yeah. So, so Image Cafe was a different time, right? So when I, yeah. um, you know, we, we bootstrapped Image Cafe in, in 1998. Uh, we launched it in early 99. Um, just before we launched, I was, I literally went from Silicon Valley to Silicon Alley raising. And yeah. um, the, the vision was unique enough. Um, the internet was so new that there were a lot of investors throwing money at it because they felt like, you know, in 1999, I thought it was going to be like today, but, you know, it really took another 15 plus years to get to the point where it was really a viable platform to build a, a scalable business. But everybody was thinking that that was the case in 1999. So there was a lot of quote unquote dumb money looking to invest in dot coms. Um, I was fortunate that I was able to raise just enough of that money to, to sort of get through launch. Um, and then just the pure press, it was mostly hype. Um, we were able to raise some more money. And before I knew it, we were in the midst of being acquired. Now, wow. group site's a different story. I think coming off of the heels of the Image Cafe success, um, I had a track record. So, you know, there were a number of investors who, you know, wanted to sort of back the next thing I did, mm. many of which were investors in Image Cafe. So, yeah, I was able to ultimately raise a couple of million dollars in seed capital. But but that was before, again, that group site was in 2006, and it's still around today. But um, that was before software became what it is today, meaning, right. you know, easy, easy to build, apps, right. you name it. So so it's so many more and, and mobile. startup right. launching today. Yeah, yeah, so many more that it's so much noise that data is, um, is what investors are using, traction data, to sort of um, mm-hmm. decide really who they should be focused in on early. Interesting. Thanks for sharing that. What do you think, you know, there, there are businesses like yours that succeed for years at a high level. And then, you know, I'm just thinking like, especially in a, in a black community, there are so many more that fail to make it, you know, a year, year and a half. And I just wanted to, to get your insight on what you thought were, were contributing factors to high percentage of businesses that are actually failing. Yeah, I mean, you know, well, well, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with product market fit, right? Oftentimes, you, you know, uh, like I said, when it comes to software companies, building the software is no longer the hard part, right? Yeah. The hard part is finding your customers and growing it, getting it so that you find that group of customers that love your solution and are willing to sort of spread the word about it so that it starts to scale. And that, that's yeah. called getting the product market fit. And so usually it takes three times the amount of time it took for you to build your software to actually get the product market fit. So if it takes you six months to build your software, more than likely it's going to take you 18 months to get the product market fit. And I think that's where most startups are failing. 
Um, mm. They're not failing because they were unsuccessful in finding somebody to build it for them. They're failing because they never truly got the product market fit because very rarely does any business plan survive first contact with customers. Wow. Is there anything that you know someone can le- uh, do to learn a little bit more about finding yeah, that I product mean, you know, market fit? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, the term has become... I think Mark Andreessen from Andreessen Horowitz um, originally coined the term product market fit. Um, uh, now it's a Wikipedia it's a Wikipedia entry on it, and if you Google product market fit, um, you'll you'll um, you'll be able to find some interesting some interesting um, reading material about it to help you sort of start to hone in on it and think about it. Sounds good. So let me ask you, how how do you keep from falling into and getting stuck in comfort zones with work. You know, what are you doing to push yourself to these new and higher heights with with each of these ventures that you get into? You know, I'm I'm still scrappy. I'm still hungry. You know, I think my last big success was Image Cafe, right? So a big part of that hunger was was relocating five years ago from Maryland to um, Palo Alto. Right. Yeah. I finally came to the conclusion that the tech industry is a lot like the entertainment industry. You can be an actor or a filmmaker. Yeah, you can make you can be an actor or a filmmaker and live anywhere, but you're not going to become Denzel Washington or Will Smith unless you move to Hollywood. Right. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, yeah. So once you make that commitment to make that move, you you, you stay motivated to make it to make it pay off. Mm. And so, um, so yeah, I, I, you know, in terms of driving myself. Um, I've never, you know, ask me that question again when I have um, $250 million in the bank. But um, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not there yet. I, not I will. Close, so. note, note to self. So good. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm a new business owner today listening to this episode, you know, what are some of the fundamental lessons you'd want me to know to, for me to be able to lay a better foundation to, to grow and raise funds for my business? Uh, I, would, I would say... Passion, I would zero in on four things. Passion, focus, persistence, and luck, right? Mm -hmm. So first, the passion piece. If you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to build a company, if you're not passionate about it, don't do it, right? You know, wait until you find that idea that you're truly passionate about. Don't do it just because you think there's a an opportunity to get rich, right? Because uh, that really shouldn't be your driver. You, you should be passionate about solving the problem. Um, and, and, and then the getting rich part should take care of itself if you successful at executing. And your passion uh, should come across in every conversation that you're having with a potential employee, a potential co-founder, potential investors. If they don't feel that passion, they're not gonna back you. So that's one. Second is focus. It's real easy to become distracted and try to do too many things. But as a, as a startup founder, you have limited resources. I know the limited um, human resources, because you don't have a lot of talent, you know, without money. And those are limited financial resources. So you really need to focus like a laser and go deep in one area before you try to go wide. Otherwise, you'll spread yourself too, too thin. Um, have you ever heard John really, Lee Dumas' take on focus? No, no, I haven't heard it. Follow one course until success. Bingo. I think that's, that sums it up perfectly, right? So, so passion, then it's focus, then persistence, right? I think there are right. lots of, um, there, there, there are lots of, persistence will make up for a lot of other things, 
I think there, there are lots of entrepreneurs who are super persistent and they don't take no for an answer um, and they ultimately break through um, versus mm-hmm. the ones that take no for an answer. So it's really important to recognize that, um, you know, the odds are against you and doors are going to be closed. So you actually have to keep chipping away until you kick them open, right? And it's, it's, it's almost like a, it's a momentum thing. It's, um, you know, it's like a snowball. It's, you know, um, rolling down a hill. It's initially hard to get that little snowball started, but once it gets yeah. started, it becomes bigger and the momentum feeds on itself, right? So, so persistence is important. And the last thing is luck. Oftentimes it's better to be lucky than good. But the good news about luck is luck is when opportunity meets preparation. So if you're prepared and you know your craft and you know your space, opportunities are going to come your way and you're going to be able to capitalize on them. And so you're going to appear to be very lucky, right? But in essence, you've created a lot of a lot of your own luck, and um, and some of it is just pure luck, like Thomas, right? You can have the right solution too early and not be successful, or have it too late and not be successful. You almost need to have it right on time. So I think if you focus on being passionate, focused, and you're persistent, then ultimately you will be lucky. I love that. That's awesome. So we're nearing the end of today's session, but we'd like to share some resources with our listeners to help them sharpen their minds. So what's one book you've read in the past year that's inspired you? You know, a, a book that I read a little while ago, for some reason, it's on the tip of my hat by Sarah Lacey. It's called Once You're Lucky, Twice You're Good. Right? It's, mm-hmm. a, it's about you know, serial entrepreneurs who wasn't successful just one time. It was successful multiple times. So um, that that was a book that I thought was interesting. Also, there is The Four Steps to the Epiphany. I read that a while ago, but for, you know, an entrepreneur just really thinking about uh, being successful, you know, you, you should become uh, you should become knowledgeable about customer development and uh, terms like that. And, and Four Steps to the Epiphany was a good one. Good deal. What's something small you've done this month that you're proud of? Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, so, so I mean, every big thing is a sequence of, of small steps. One thing I'm proud of is is a is a I would call it a growth hacking tool that uh, we've been building really for three months with, with with our team at Venture Fund to help grow Venture Fund because I believe that you know to be successful you need a growth hack right uh, mm-hmm. Airbnb was successful because they figured out how to grow on top of Craigslist PayPal was successful because they figured out how to grow on top of eBay and eBay ultimately acquired them right so. You almost have to build two pieces of software, one that the public knows about and hears about, and one that no one knows about that's all about getting you customers. And so we worked on a very special growth tool um, that we that we built internally that we're getting ready to unleash um, and utilize to sort of grow venture fund that, um, that I'm proud of. But that was a three-month ordeal, not quite one month. Nice. Clarence, can a trailblazer have too many goals? Can a trailblazer have too many goals? No. I mean, you know, um, I, I think if, if you're organizing your thoughts, you know, I, I think uh, maybe all of those goals should probably be somewhat related. But you certainly you certainly can't. I don't think you can have too many goals. Um, I think it's important to sort of put your goals in writing and put them in a place where you see them. Like, for example, I um, – uh, I have my goals actually on my iPhone home screen. So every time I hit that button, um, instead of a, you know a picture background, there's right. sort of my personal mission statement, my my my, ah. my goal for the next five years. Um, but it's, it's personal like to me, um, like and it forces me to read it every day, right? Nice. Um, 
once you put it into words and you read it to yourself, you know, thoughts become things. And okay. so um, uh, that was the one place I knew I would look probably a hundred times a day. Um, and that's my mobile phone. So I actually do the same thing with my iPhone, but I used it on my reminders. And so it pops up at different times of the day with different goals. But I like that. I like the background. Oh. I have to try that one. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. I'm, I might have to make it a reminder, too, because trust me, I've, I've been looking at the background so long. Sometimes I don't even right. pay attention to it. Right. Switch it up. That's right. Yeah, so exactly. Name an online resource. Could be an app, software, or tool that you use every day that you can't live without. I, I guess I could live without it, but but here's a good resource. TechMeme. T-E-C-H-M-E-M-E. TechMeme, basically, it's uh, TechMeme.com. I, you know, I usually go there in the morning, and it, it shows me all the top tech stories, so to speak, right, uh, from different blogs, and it just kind of aggregates them. So I kind of skim huh. through that daily just to stay on top of the overall tech news. And it's it's part algorithmic and part human curated. Interesting. I'm going to check that out. So last question here. Is it important to you to volunteer and give back with your time, talents, and treasures? Oh, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, as a matter of fact, it's funny you mention that because I, um, I'm, I'm working, I'm actually planning on launching a, a nonprofit Um um, and it's actually going to be called Steam Roll. So this is the first time I've actually mentioned it publicly. Um, wow. And many of you are familiar with STEM. Some people are familiar with STEAM, you know, science, technology, engineering, art, and math. Um, and you know, normally you think roll, like, um, you know, Steam Roll, uh, but in our case, roll is R-O-L-E. And it's really about introducing um, role models, um, people who have been successful uh, in STEAM careers to, to, to our youth so they can recognize um, how to do it and that people from similar situations and backgrounds uh, are really excelling and becoming pros and getting paid in life um, based on a STEAM education versus going right. pro in a sport. Well, two of our recent guests are STEM women, and so I'll definitely need to connect you with them. Uh, about that that'd be great yep thank you for for sharing that um so last bit here you know i'd love you to take a couple minutes and impart some actionable advice or an inspiring message that can help us you know elevate our game today and help us really gain some courage to blaze a new trail i would say that if, if you're thinking about you know being an entrepreneur and and starting something you know there's there's no true roadmap. I mean, you almost have to be like Nike. One of my models is just do it, right? So, um, and as an entrepreneur, you you create your own inertia. So if, if you, you know, if you don't take that first step, um, there will be no second step. And as you begin to sort of move forward, um, and again, recapping on being passionate, you'll, you'll be able to attract team and talent. Um, to, you know, to what it is you're doing and it will start to take on a life of its own because you want to get it to the point where it's, it's moving even without you and you want other people who care about it as much as you do. Um, because it's, you know, it's, it, for me as an entrepreneur, it's nothing more fulfilling than starting with an idea and watching that idea sort of come to life and turn into thing. So, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs say, look, I, I want to do this tech, I want to do this app, but I don't know how to program. Um, and I, I basically say that if you're not technical, um, be visual. 
right? Because I, I think part of the roadmap and me being sort of a steam guy with an architecture background, I, I tend to think about things visually and use visuals to sort of get other people on the same page. The, that's kind of my advice. Just do it and and be visual, right? You know, um, um, sketch out what it is your vision looks like. Use resources like Dribble, a great site, and find a designer to sort of mock it up to show exactly what it would look like. And then use those designs to attract co-founders, programmers who actually want to code it, um, and potentially even investors, uh, even if those investors are just friends and family initially. I appreciate that. Clarence, you are a very inspiring entrepreneur with so much wisdom and knowledge shared in this interview and just all that I've read about you. I am, I am, you know, really appreciative of you taking that step to get out to Silicon Valley and you're paving a way right now for the future entrepreneurs to, to get in and really get access to capital, which is, you know, an issue right now in, in our community, right? And so I thank you very much. I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule today to share your story with our community. And if you could just tell us, uh, you know, how we can stay connected to you and we'll finish up. Yeah. Yeah. So, so basically, um, you know, um, venturefund.io, if you are, uh, our, our whole motto is grow, don't pitch, let your data do the pitching. So if you're building a startup, even if you don't have any traction, once you have that product built, connect with us on venturefund.io. Um, if you want to hear about some of the things that I'm, I'm up to, I, I do update my personal page, which is at clarencewooten.com. You can, all, you can always uh, reach me on LinkedIn or follow me on Twitter. Fantastic. And I'll go ahead and put all those links for Clarence up on our show notes page at tbpod.com slash episode 14. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Um, Clarence, thank you. I really appreciate you. And we'll, we'll talk to you soon. It was great. Thanks again for having me. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Trailblazers podcast. We'll be posting links to Clarence's book recommendations, resources, his social channels and websites on our show notes page at tbpod.com slash episode 14. Guys, I'm so excited and grateful to you all. I wanted to share that our podcast downloads increased by more than 50% in April, which is only our third full month since going live. I want to say thank you for all your help in getting the word out and continuing to share these amazing stories. That said, please continue to share the podcast with your family members and friends. Invite them to listen to an episode you think might impact them most. Someone listening to one of these inspiring stories just might be moved to make a change in their lives and go on to change the world for many others in the process guys your time is right now to rise above go way beyond and pursue your greatest you today 